Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, the ups and downs and how to navigate life with kids on your own while keeping sane. Covering subjects such as domestic violence through to fussy eaters and solo dating. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to part two of my interview with Paul Dillon. But, you know, so I'm not I'm not trying to stop people from drinking alcohol. That's, you know, that's it's part of the part of our life. And, and do you know what? Like at the end of the day, right, there is some alcohol, some people maybe one of them like with whiskey uh it tastes nice right so it's 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 a nice drink as long as you're not having 12 or 15 shots of whiskey or whatever and getting paralytic and passing out or whatever you know it's it's nice to have maybe one or two but let's like it's like everything in life like everything in moderation although I have to say I'm getting to the age now where even two glasses of wine is killing me and I'm sort of sitting there in the morning going why did I even drink at all so I'm sort of getting to the advocate of I'm not going to drink because it's just so exhausting for me that yeah and that I think is you know you ask for changes and I think one of the most interesting trends has been that we are seeing growing numbers of people who are choosing not to drink and that is not just adult it's not uh, certainly school-based young people we have kind of some the highest well to give you some sort of idea back in 1999 one in uh 10 12 to 17 year olds had never drunk alcohol. Um, in 2017, the latest data that we have because of COVID kind yeah. of interrupted getting the 2020 data, but 2017, it was one in three 12 to 17 year olds who had never consumed alcohol. That's a huge cultural shift. And it's not just here. Europe has the same kind of thing. Um, the, the States, Canada, everyone has seen an increase number of uh, young people who have chosen not to drink. Um, and with adults, you know, things like Dry July and Feb Fast and all that stuff, which I'm not a great fan of, but um, certainly people um, actually can see yeah. the benefits of actually choosing not to drink. Um, so well, there's also, question. yeah, and there's also um, online sites that are like the 100-day challenge or whatever. I don't know if it's called the 100-day challenge, but I know I've seen it advertised on places like Facebook and various different other things where people choose to go 100 days without alcohol, without an alcoholic drink. And then at the end of that, they go, well, actually – I've had such an awesome 100 days. I'm going to continue this on. And it goes for a year or it goes for whatever. And, mm. you know, look, at the end of the day, um, I know in my day, you know, it's like, oh, let's get drunk and like, have a good time. But actually, you don't need to get drunk to have a good time. It's all good. It's about the people you're with. And, and look, I think it's really stuff. important. I, I certainly, you know, sometimes I do an interview with a newspaper and I'm, you know, there's a thing, Paul Dillon, anti-drug crusade, or it sounds like I'm oh Superman with a cape or something. <laughs> But, you know, that's certainly not who I am at all. And um, people can choose, you know, if, uh, I, to be quite honest, I don't give a stuff what anybody does in their 20s. I don't care. I'm all about, you know, school-based young people. That's who I care about because I think they're the most vulnerable in many ways. Now, you asked about changes. I think I've talked about alcohol with other drugs. Yeah. Look, I think the most imp incredibly important thing to remember about 
other drugs, and we'll talk about illegal drugs, I suppose, would be that um, they kind of come in, come and go in cycles. So what oh, okay. we've had, what we've seen over the years of me doing what I do, is that we had a period of time where heroin was right, really hit Australia in a very big way. We had um, a, a very large number of people who died from heroin overdoses. I think it it beat the number of people. It was a higher number than the people who died on the roads at one point. Oh um, they, that came and then disappeared. And then we had the amphetamine cycle. And, uh, if you're living in Melbourne, uh, everyone was talking about the ice epidemic, and I hate the term epidemic, but that kind of popped up and then kind of um, uh, has uh, kind of dropped again. Um, and then we went with ecstasy, MDMA popped up, and certainly that's a drug that uh, continues to be very popular in this country. And at the moment, I would have to say that most probably the drug of choice amongst uh, I suppose um, those p- people who like to party in some way would certainly be cocaine. Um, I've never seen oh, so really? much of the drug in the country, and the wow, huge amounts of huge amounts that are seized by um, by police are just unbelievable. Wow! So I'm really must be out of scene <laughs> then because I would have never, I would have never have said cocaine, but that's fair enough. Wow! Okay, blimey! Okay, well, fair enough. And then, then I'm sort of also thinking, like I'm, I have to say, I read a really interesting article that you had on your, well, whether you call it article, but it was a blog post that you you'd put on one of your blogs about the actual methods that are now changing around people actually getting getting their drugs, accessing drugs. I mean, that was such an eye-opener to us. Tell us a little bit more about that because I was like, oh, damn, I really have, things really have changed. I have to tell you that was an eye-opener for me as well. I mean, um, I suppose the last 12 months, um, and I was very fortunate in term one and term two, I was actually travelling around the country and meeting people, young people face-to-face again after having, you know, last year kind of locked down doing online. But ooh, yes, um, for some people who uh, are listening to this, they may remember me from Triple J. I used to have my own spot on Triple J oh, for many okay. years. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, back then, we used to have people calling in and um, talking about their drug use. Um, I don't think we could ever, we could do that radio show nowadays. I mean, the world has changed so much. Oh, really? In terms of you know, people being more conservative and what you can and can't say and cancel culture and all that kind of stuff. But certainly it was really kind of um, a very open show about the issue. But um, I can remember when online, um, purchasing drugs online first came into mm. um, onto the scene and I kept saying... I just can't believe that this would ever become a really big thing, mainly because most people who purchase illegal drugs would be kind of concerned that they might get caught. You know, <laughs> you would think, you know, mailing them to your house would be an issue. Drugs have always come through, um, illegal drugs have always been purchased through friendship networks. Yes. Uh, you knew someone who possibly knew someone else who knew someone else. And, um, you know, there weren't evil drug dealers standing at the no. end of the road, you know, it was a mate. It was a mate that could get something oh. when you needed it, and that was it. Not that I know or anything, but yeah, no, exactly. And I think what has kind of it makes perfect sense now is that friendship networks have changed. They've gone online, and that's exactly what we are seeing now. Wow. Um, the use of social media apps, and you know, I don't know if you've had people on who've talked about cyber safety, but certainly, no, you know, but I want I've gone to. to 
Yeah. Uh, I've gone to many, many, many talks where the person before me has been talking about cyber safety. And one of the key messages that any cyber safety person will say to you is monitor your child's social media, mm-hmm. monitor your child's social media over and over again. Don't allow your child to get onto social media apps until, you know, a certain age, et cetera. And, um, you know, that's really bloody difficult. Mainly kids, as I said, already said, they're really clever. Mm. And so they create false um, accounts, everything else for their parents to follow and all that stuff. But if you look at the research now, and certainly uh, I was at a school where I was talking about ecstasy with this uh, group of year 12s. It's, it's when I talk about MDMA ecstasy. And a young man came up to me and he said, do you want to see how easy it is to buy ecstasy MDMA? And I said, yeah, okay, show me. He had, he's got his phone app. He got an app which I'd never seen before called Telegram. He went, now I timed this because I'd had an experience not long before with three young women showing me how easy it was to buy vapes, but um, I didn't time it. This guy started on Telegram. He said, um, there's this list of people. He said, push one of those buttons. I pushed one of them. Um, nine photos came up of each containing ecstasy or MDMA ah. caps and pills. He then said, pick one. I push one. And then within about 30 seconds, a little text message came up that said, hi, how many and where? The uh, He said, how many? I said, I don't know, 50. Um, and a cost came up. He said, the address. Um, and I said, the end of the school driveway. He typed it in. In three and a half minutes, he had, um, if he'd have pushed the final button to say yes, um, we could have had them delivered to the gate at the thing um, at the end of the school day. It took three and a half minutes. Wow. Now, that's terrifying. Wow. But what I always say to parents is on the flip side of that is if you look at the research around illicit drug use in young people, school-based young people, I need to emphasise yeah. that, what we there's no evidence that drug use is spiralling out of control. No. The, most young people aren't interested in using illicit drugs at that age. Certainly it jumps up when they leave school, but, you know, the access and availability of um, illicit drugs, it's quite incredible. Um, And it really has blown my mind. Uh, You know, there are so many ways that if you want to find drugs, you will get them. And, of course, I think that's always been the case, but it's just the internet's just made it all faster. And that's kind of terrifying, particularly for parents, because we're always at least three or four steps behind our kids in understanding new technology. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, look, I completely agree. And it like and there's so many things with with the Internet and like it's opened up such a different world. There's kids being our kids are being groomed. Our kids are being are able to get drugs and various different other things from this Internet world. But and also it's affecting their mental states because they're seeing all of these social media, Instagram posts about people who are having such wonderful lives. But actually, in reality, they're only we're only getting to see a snippet of their life, not the actual real behind the scenes stuff so you know that causes a whole world of different problems so yeah look I yeah I completely agree um unfortunately we don't live our life through a filter no. it would be really good oh if we God, did because yeah. we'd all look I fantastic I wouldn't we? Look like we'd, this. we'd be doing a podcast we'd be doing yeah. videos well <laughs> don't go there so okay so look um thank you for all of that because well that's just that was an eye-opener for me it really was but like so let's go around um what are your views on like legalizing 
some of these drugs now because where there's a lot of people who are wanting to experiment with the psychedelics regarding PTSD, treatment of PTSD and some other, you know, traumas and, and uh, issues there. We're also looking at um, cannabis for treating Parkinson's and various different other illnesses as well. And like, I, I don't, you know, I'm, my view is I'm, you know, if it's going to help, then should we not be using these? But then, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, what are your views on it? We're entering a very, very different, very, we're entering a very interesting uh, time at the moment because there are, as you have said, a number of previously uh, regarded illegal illicit drugs um, being used medicinally. Um, um, I think think we're, we're talking about two different things here though i mean first off you're talking about the general legalization of drugs and then you've got the mm. uh, medicalization of drugs i mean they're kind of two different things yes. um, my view on legalization and it's just my own personal view is that um i think if um uh, as much as legalizing uh drugs could um help in many, many ways. I mean, it removes the crime out of it. So you get a whole pile of young people who don't enter um, the criminal justice yeah. system and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think the only issue that does occur when you're talking about legalising it, no one is going to legalise drugs for everybody. There's always going to be a line. So, you know, most people, there are only two countries in the world that have legalised cannabis, for example. Those two countries are Uruguay and Canada. People think lots of other places have. They haven't. They're the only two. No. But, you know, it's, um, I think Canada is, I'm not sure if it's 18 or 21, but there's an age cutoff. Now, what that instantly makes is a black market for those people under the under that age. So as much yeah. as legalisation can help in one way, because the best part is all of a sudden you can talk about it in a much more honest way, it also creates some other issues. Now, Canada has done incredibly, an incredibly good job here of putting lots of education in younger people about trying to delay use and stuff. So I can see the benefits of legalising in, in that way, but it doesn't solve all the problems. We don't live in, you know, a utopia where everything kind of works instantly as soon as you put one thing into place. It's not a silver bullet. So that's my view on that. I think decriminalising is really important and lots of places around the world have decriminalised and certainly in this country to some extent we have decriminalised cannabis because if you get caught and you're young, there's caution systems, you don't go straight to yeah. uh, straight to court. But when it comes to the medicalization, I suppose that's the right word, of drugs, um, yeah, look, I'm a supporter of medicinal cannabis if it helps one person, one person, you know, and you have to look at particularly those little very young children with extreme forms of epilepsy, particularly Dravet syndrome. Um, If it helps one of those kids, absolutely, totally support it. I think the great problem that we face, and it's the same with psychedelics, um, is There is lots of evidence to absolutely support that psychedelics can help with things like PTSD, psilocybin, which is found in magic mushrooms, can assist with anxiety. Uh, There's a trial down in Melbourne. Depression. There's all those things. Yeah, If it helps anybody, that's great. But we have to get our messaging right here. And uh, the trouble is with the medicinal use of cannabis is that – you know, the government introduced it here. And there's a, a, a cannabis, medicinal cannabis um, scheme that runs right across the country. 
um, try to find some person who understands how that scheme works. And the only thing here, only kids things kids here is cannabis is a medicine, and that is not actually the message that we should be giving. We should be think because for some young people, and it's a small number. We believe it's about one in ten people who who use cannabis who will have a a, a significant problem with it. But there is that there is that issue. With psychedelics, absolutely. If psycho, if psychedelics are used in a controlled setting with a counsellor guiding you through an experience, absolutely there are benefits. It doesn't mean you pop, you know, a couple of mushrooms and go, you know, to the local pub. That's completely different. Yeah. No, and I and I have to completely agree with you. Look, I've, you know, there is a lot of evidence to say that psychedelics are helping people through PTSD and traumatic experiences, depression, anxiety, and stuff like that. But it is about the messaging. And my biggest concern is that. You know, we we have got. I mean, there's films on um, people going down to um, Mexico or somewhere in South Australia, uh, South, South Australia, South Ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, where they go to these ayahuasca retreats and they have these um, fantastic, amazing experiences and they come out and they were suicidal going in and they come out and they feel fantastic and like no suicidal thoughts. It's like a miracle cure. And I sort of sit there and go. Exactly what you've said is like, well, okay, that's great, but that's within a controlled setting, which is managed, managed, well, some of these aren't, but managed and monitored, and somebody is helping you through that process. To sit there with your mates and think you can get over your depression or anxiety by just, you know, popping a few magic mushrooms or smashing up some, you know, cactus, <laughs> boiling it in a pot and then eating it, like, you know, it's like, I just go, yeah. no, but... It is yeah, about the messaging it's, and it's hard. It's really difficult because there are, um, you, you know, one of the most, uh, and I've been very fortunate over the last, you know, close to 30 years now of having some pretty incredible experiences. And I was, um, I went to a conference in Arizona many years ago and I was selected in a group of like 20 and I don't know why I was chosen, but I went to a, um, a sweat uh, a sweat tent um, with this, um, oh, this yeah. Yeah, Navajo yeah. Uh, Native Americans um, and watched a peyote ceremony actually. And it was, I think it was there for 36 hours, like because there was a 12 hour preparation time for the people who went into it, then the actual experience, which we were privileged enough to see, which was quite phenomenal. And then like what happened afterwards, it wasn't, and this is why it's what I say to kids when they say, oh, da, 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 these, you know, these drugs, um, you know, mushrooms have been used for years and like DMT is another huge one at the moment, particularly yeah. amongst the, the really kind of the kids who are into psychedelics. But, um, and you go, DMT was just not, they just didn't sit around and play video games while they were, you know, yeah. they, there was a shaman, a shaman who actually prepared them. They were put into a tent for sometimes days before and went through the experience. But that's very difficult messaging for teens because it's black and white. And as I said at the beginning, <laughs> there's no black and white here. There's lots of shades of grey. And I was only talking to somebody, somebody not very long ago who um, is very into psychedelic research. And um, I said, you know, I'm totally supportive of this. If it helps anyone, mm. I went to a conference in Paris back in 1996 and one of the very first pieces of research looking at MDMA and how it could help uh, PTSD with rape survivors. Yes. Um, and yes. 
um, I think they had a sample size of six or something. It was a tiny study, one of the very first ones. Mm-hmm. And when you just heard what a difference it made in these young people, young women's lives, it was phenomenal. Um, yeah. So I get all of that. But as I as I've said, as I said to this guy, I said, you need to remember, I work with teenagers, school-based young people who hear that it can help in this way. We have to get the messaging right here. You know, it's critical because you don't want really young people messing around with this when they don't know what they're doing. Now, are they likely to die? No, it's not about that. But it is a whole part of other stuff that can happen as a result, particularly if they have pre-existing conditions and they're messing around with stuff that could kind of mess them up a little bit more. Yeah, tip them over the edge or whatever. whatever. And, and, and like, do you think... Do you think with these sort of forms of therapy, for want of a better word, do you think so? Because for my view, uh, if you go and Google um, psychedelic treatments for PTSD in Australia, say, there's not really that many places that actually would do that or are engaged in it. And I sort of me personally, I sort of think, well, I'm wondering if governments would get on board to actually bring more together regarding having this available to people in controlled environments so that if people are searching for it, that they can actually use these sort of facilities to help. Look, I was really, really surprised when the psilocybin trial was um, uh, given the tick of approval from the government. That was a real surprise. Um, Certainly people have been lobbying for... Um, a particular MDMA therapy for a number of years and it's always been knocked back. I think, look, it's like anything when you actually um, get something when the ball starts rolling and everyone's going to be looking at this trial in Melbourne and seeing what happens Mm. and then you will see other things. The problem with this is it's like medicinal cannabis when it came on board. The reason medicinal cannabis really was kind of given a tick here after many, many years of no, 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 was essentially a very concerted campaign by a group of people who um, used used children as the uh, as a reason in, um, and it was it was Dravet syndrome, particularly these little kids with um, with um, horrible, you know, they were having 100, 100 seizures a day, awful, and they used that, th- those examples to to really get people's sympathy behind it and it, it occurred and as I said I'm totally supportive um, uh, of it trouble is as soon as these kind of things come up you also get people who pop up who take advantage of the situation and you get people who are offering you know services and everything to very vulnerable people and certainly I've been involved with a number of parents one with a child with Dravet syndrome who was waiting to get onto the, a trial to use it with their child and very sadly um, they got onto the trial. It had no effect at all. It didn't work for their child. It's sometimes these things are painted as silver bullets that they'll fix everything. And, you know, psychedelic therapy, cannabis therapy, whatever, it's like any treatment. It's got to work for some people. It's not going to work for others. Um, And um, in that case, uh, very sadly, their child died not long afterwards, which was awful. And they'd been waiting and waiting and waiting. And so, I think we, we shouldn't be promising people things. I think yeah. we should. And we also don't want cowboys to come into the market and then, you know, these centres popping up all over the place offering different treatments for different people. Um, 
but then you'll say other you'll have other people who go well you don't want that much red tape around it as well we want to offer it to people so look you can't win it's a very very difficult one. look i think it yeah i think it needs to be regulated but i just sometimes i get frustrated by the for want of a better word i know you've just used it but red tape that means that it's a long time before governments actually come on board and basically um you know, start to um, allow research into these areas. And it's sort of frustrating that there's so much red tape to actually enable a research, you know, or, um, yeah, therapy for people that potentially it could really help. Yeah, it's a tough one. And, I mean, look, it's yeah. one of the – I mean, there's a lots of, there are lots and lots of benefits of having that red tape in place that, you know, we don't mm. see things coming onto the market and – I mean, you only have to look at something like thalidomide from, you oh, know, all those years exactly. ago, you know, but all of a sudden, and that's certainly not going to happen with psychedelics or anything, but we just don't know. So that's why I think we do tend to get these times where um, people, uh, as the red tape is there for some, for, for a reason. You only have to look at what's currently happening around vaccines and everything else to see that, yes. you know, we're in the situation we are in because we did wait for so long before we actually yeah. agreed to take. So look, yeah, there's, there's no easy answer. Okay. All right. So look, just bringing this all back to kids and parents and stuff like that again, like what fine, like what are your final like three tips for parents who are concerned about their children regarding alcohol and drug use as such? Um, what do you say they should be really like just watching out educating the, their the, teens number one I, I i think when you're talking about alcohol other drugs i think it's about you could look specifically at you know what do you say about alcohol and other drugs and all that sort of stuff but really i think this is about just general parenting and you know uh caring about your your, your kids i think number one very importantly is uh making sure you keep telling them how great they are. It's really important. We live in a world, um, if you think about so much that's in the media, so much about kids, it's about how bad they are and how they're so much worse than they used to be and so much stuff. And I think certainly in a time of, you know, COVID and, you know, I just got the saddest photo from a group of young people whose year 11 formal was meant to be last Saturday, of course, restrictions. So they had an online formal where they they sent me a photograph of all themselves on on a Zoom thing. You look at all that. I think we keep having to say to our kids how great they are. They need to know how great they are. Find every opportunity you can. I think the second thing is about finding a way of keeping connected. And that's about finding, uh, I think sometimes parents get obsessed with this idea of connection must mean that it's a long time. It doesn't have to be a long time. It has to be quality time. I live in Surrey Hills in Sydney, and I don't know if anybody's been to Surrey Hills in Sydney, but there's lots of cafes usually. And you walk around cafes on the weekend and you see these quite often. It's a dad with a, with a, a, quite often it's dads with daughters, I have to say. And they're sitting there and at the cafe, and both of them on their phones. Yeah. And you kind of look at that and you think this is such a, a such an opportunity to have such a wonderful experience and you're kind of blowing it. Um, this does not have to be hours. If you just spend three minutes talking to your child as you drop them off at school, um, you know, a car is a great place to have a quality conversation with your teens. Why? Because they don't have to look at you and they can't escape. But it's a great opportunity Fantastic. to have that, you know, <laughs> have that time. Um, so finding that one thing that you do with your child each week 
one yeah. thing um, in primary school, it's really kind of easy to do it. Oh, look, it is. It is. Because you can sit there and colour and do it like, you exactly. can do whatever. So, and they're quite amicable with that. But I'm sure I'm sure getting older is going to be a and little bit more. And it's finding that special thing to do that only you two do. That's a really kind of key thing. And as I said, don't make it like an hour or two hours. Don't make it cumbersome. But it's that, you know, walking dog or, you know, just having a, that one con- Try to do that and it will change as you go into high school. But the final one, and I suppose this is, I suppose, a bit more specifically alcohol for drugs in some way, is the key to keeping your child safe in any area is to know where they are, know who they're with, and know when they'll be home. Yeah. Um, if you can do that, and the trouble is they will get to an age where <laughs> just asking them, you're not necessarily going to get an honest answer. But that's when you have to do a little bit of digging and then your child will inevitably let you down and lie to you. Um, that doesn't mean they're a bad kid. doesn't mean you're a bad parent. Oh, but no. if you can actually keep that kind of monitoring, we know that everything changes usually around year nine. Year nine is a hor- 14 is a horrible age for young women and 15 it is for young men. Oh, Absolutely. Okay. Year 10 is a nightmare. Bear those in mind then. <laughs> <laughs> but around that time, you know, if you can keep monitoring your child, it has to be age appropriate. I mean, that's really important, you know. Um, but if you can keep monitoring, then that is a way of keeping them safe. And that's all any parent wants is to have their child come home to them safe. Um, and if you do those, I think those three things, it can help a little bit. Well, I think, yeah, look, I, I agree with you with everything you've said. I think it's actually about also recognising that your child is their own person. Yeah. They're not like who you want them to be like they are their own person they have their own thoughts their own feelings their own views on things and I suppose at 14 15 they're they're developing and you know creating their own them as such yeah and and moving away from you so moving they're growing away from you to hopefully by the time they're 25 grow back and come back to you but you need to like give them that space to be able to find out who they are it's what they so like, fascinating what they, yeah. when you look at research in the area of around the age of 13 14 15 what your child is trying is starting to do at that age um and it is younger for young women without any doubt is they're trying to establish their own identity that you you are their world in primary school you might not think they necessarily are but you are their world your influence everything you do is influencing them yeah. in such a big way but when they hit that you know early adolescence they're trying to establish their own identity often completely different to you it's incredibly important that it's different to you that's why we see kids wanting to think get things like tattoos and piercings in strange places and often parents say to me well you know how can I stop my child from you know getting a tattoo I go get one yourself if you put one if you get a nose <laughs> ring your child will not want one happy days but this is good they, good advice <laughs> they want to establish their own identity and their peers become more of an influence now I yeah. think what some parents do is they kind of throw their arms up in the air and they go well um I don't have any influence at all and the research says that is just so not true. You will yeah. always have a major, you will always yeah. be an influence. It's just that you change from, as I said, at right at the very beginning, a managing role to a consulting role. And if you can navigate through that really difficult time of, you know, 13, 14, uh, 15, then um, the, the future years are going to be a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. It's instilling those values and behaviours at a young age. Absolutely. And hoping that they remember those when they're in those 
other ages to then when they come back to you at 25 go hey wow it's all good like I, look I yeah I, I completely agree with you I used to be really annoyed with my parents when I was 15 16 17 because they wouldn't let me go to clubs they wouldn't let me do x y and z all the stuff that um you know a 15 16 17 year old would want to do way back in the UK in like you know the 1980s should I say that but now, sitting here at the age I am, uh, I sit there and go, no, hats off to them for actually, you know, tying me Karen. down and giving, yeah, and giving a toss and going, yeah, no, we don't want our daughter to be like that. You're not going to do X, Y, and Z. So, oh, look, I get so many parents who contact me who say, you know, I had an horrible time. I, did, I followed all your advice, Paul. I did all of this stuff that you suggested when I saw you give talks 25 years ago. And my son or daughter hated me. Yeah. They've come back to me yeah. at, in their early 20s, sometimes in their early 20s, mm. and they've said, you know what, you were the only parent who cared enough to put the boundaries around me. They're going to fight them. Absolutely. That's what they're, that's what, that's what they're there for. Exactly uh, right. Boundaries are there for the kids to push against. They need that. If they don't have it, they wander through life aimlessly. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Look, thank you. Thank you so much for today. It's been really interesting talking to you. I love talking to you. It's brilliant. I have one, one final question to ask you. Oh, okay. All right. One final question. I ask it to all my guests. So I'd be interested to hear your answer. If you had a superpower, what would it be? I think I've always, well, there's kind of two. Ooh, I don't two? know. It depends on my mood. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Because I always used to have the dream of, you know, the flying dream that people have. Oh, yeah. 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 And for me, flying was always like totally euphoric yeah. in a dream. I thought it was just the most phenomenal feeling. And I did the parachuting. I didn't actually parachute. I did the in, in, indoor parachuting oh, thing. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. you've seen that. Yeah. And um, that was one of the most amazing experiences because it, it's like flying. It's not like you're falling, which is yeah, parachuting, you're falling. You're, falling, yeah. you're literally you're not actually flying. working, flying, yeah. And so that was it. That was, it's always been my kind of, because that's a euphoric feeling yeah. that you get when you dream. But the other one is invisibility. Oh, really? Yeah, I just mm. really kind of love to watch and like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me, does make me a bit of a voyeur. Yeah, it does. It? It did the me. only reason it would be is because I could go to places and people wouldn't know. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't know watch. you were there. Yeah, and kind of get, weird. You'd get so. a different view of like, because they would be, you know, they wouldn't be aware uh, of you being around. You would then see what would actually happen when you weren't around as such. But I'm obsessed with superpowers. I Are love, you? I've, since a kid, I've always been absolutely insane oh. about superheroes and stuff. So, yeah, something I've... I'm sure some of your guests will often wonder what, what have a kind of a um, question. Don't know how to answer that. I oh no, no, no! I, yeah, no, completely. There are some people who who really don't know how to answer it, and then. Um, but like I've had all different answers. Like some people have wanted to delve into people's minds. Some people have wanted like um, to go back in time. Some people have just wanted a transporter to be able to hop from one country to the other and not actually have to get on a plane and stuff, which I suppose yeah, is see, handy. I'd like all of those. Yeah, really. no, I know. I'd like all of those. <laughs> I know. We, I, I like, yeah. I know I've only said a superpower, but I know what you mean. Like several would be nice, but yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, no, that's cool. Absolutely. Look, thank you once again for, spending the time with us I know you're really really busy you're you know doing lots of different podcast interviews you're here there and everywhere it's really great but look thank you for spending the time and coming and talking to us it's been brilliant not a problem it's been my pleasure All right. thank you so much thank you see ya
Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you'd like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family on all the usual social media platforms that you're normally on. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content that I know you're going to want to hear like this. If you want to check out past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast or for links, resources and show notes, go to our website www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey and Twitter. Have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one's perfect and we're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.